Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. My people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Well, hi, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, on behalf of everyone at City Church, let me send you all at Grace Church a very, very warm welcome. Well, you've got me this week, having had Ralph uh, last week, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 42. So please do keep your Bibles open as we explore what I think you're going to find is an incredible uh, psalm, full of challenge, uh, but hopefully full of comfort as well. So do keep uh, that open as we look at it. Well, many of you will know the author J.K. Rowling. She is the author of all of the Harry Potter books, but I'm not going to be talking about Harry Potter uh, this morning. I wanted to draw your attention to something that she said in a moment of absolute honesty in an interview. This is what J.K. Rowling said. It is so difficult to describe depression to someone who has never been there because it is not sadness. I know sadness. Sadness is to cry and to feel, but it's that cold absence of feeling, that really hollowed out experience. Well, trying to articulate what depression is can be a really, really hard thing to do. It's it's a hard thing to precisely pin down. And it's important to say that some people struggle with depression because perhaps of a chemical imbalance within them. For other people, they struggle with depression as a consequence of incidents or events in their life. But one in six people in the UK report experiencing common uh, mental health issues such as depression or anxiety in any given week. The researchers Holmes and Rehay developed what's called a stress score. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. And their research generated a list of experiences 
that a person might go through over the course of life and for each experience they gave it a score and what their research told them is if your accumulated score at a particular time in your life exceeds a certain threshold well it, it means that you would have every chance of experiencing some form of um, mental health issue you, you see some of their uh, some of their scoring looked like this the death of a spouse would lead to a uh, hundred points losing your job say would be 47 points a major change in social activities would be 18 points a major change in your working conditions 20 points well you get the idea don't you well, over the course of the last few months, I think for every single one of us, the accumulated score that we would have all have achieved over a very intense period, well, it goes to say it's going to leave consequences, isn't it? And I appreciate that many of us are experiencing really hard times, really dark times. One mental health professional recently said that they were looking at cancelling holiday leave for all their employees because of the expected uh, tidal wave of care issues that they thought were coming their way. So it's good, isn't it, that we in the Christian community get to talk about depression openly and hear what the Bible has to say about it. And that's what we're going to be doing from Psalm 42, because Psalm 42 is one person's attempt to articulate what it's like to go through depression and how it affects your faith in God. And we're going to explore this psalm in two sections. Firstly, we're going to look at the three wounds of depression, the three ways it can damage us or cause us to have uh, dark experiences as Christians. And then the second part of this psalm, we're going to look at the spiritual medicine that this wonderful piece of scripture provides for us. So come with me to the three wounds of depression. And the first one is the desperation to experience God in verse one. Come with me to verse one. You see, the song begins with a very intriguing image. You can see it there in your Bibles. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. But this isn't a lovely uh, Bambi image of a deer kind of gently and, and lovingly wandering through a forest. No, 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 no. This is more like a, a desperate creature that is disheveled, malnourished and weak. Perhaps they haven't had food sustenance in days. They are, they are sweaty with the hot blood of panic, perhaps being chased by predators. They're desperate. They're in an absolutely critical condition. Their lungs are on fire. Their mouth is as dry as sandpaper. And the creature at last, in the very nick of time, finds a stream of water and drinks in furious heaves of breath, exhausted and relieved. Well, it's quite an image, isn't it? And the psalmist, we're not entirely sure who, apart from they come from the family of Korah, who are the temple musicians. Well, the psalmist likens this desperately thirsty animal that's in this life and death condition as being an accurate picture of how they feel towards God. Look with me at verse two. It says this, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The, the tragedy is the psalmist feels like the deer 
before they found the stream. They feel like they're in a, a total spiritual drought situation. Now, I've walked very closely with a number of people who've struggled with depression as Christians. And one friend described their own situation like this. They said, God, I want to feel you, but I feel numb. God, I want to see you, but I'm blind. I feel empty. I shout to God, why is this happening to me? Why can't you sort this out? I'm angry because he's so silent. I know it's me, that it's, that it's my problem, not God. But at the time, I can't see it. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? You can sense the emotional desperation from this person's words. Desperation that they once tasted a closeness with God, a goodness and intimacy with God, when all of a sudden it feels like the door of heaven has been shut to them. The, uh, the locks to spiritual satisfaction have been changed overnight. That the church, small groups, friends, Bible reading and prayer that all used to be so sweet have lost their taste and their nourishment. Well, that's the situation here in the psalm. That's why the psalmist cries out, where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, meaning day after day I have no spiritual nourishment, only sadness. Well, if that was the first experience of being spiritually depressed, what's the second experience? Well, it's this, withdrawal from the people of God. You can find that in verse 4, withdrawal from the people of God. Now, the second experience that this psalmist highlights, withdrawal from others, is found in verse 4. Look, look what it says there. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The, the, the memory here is what they're talking about. It's the memory of the joy that they used to have when they gathered together with other believers. And it's a bittersweet experience for them. Bitter because it reminds them of what they've lost and sweet because... They know that happiness in worship is a real and possible thing. They know that they've had that in the past. And in verse 6, the psalmist says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Now, this could either refer to the fact that the psalmist is away from home, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, or it might figuratively be uh, a description of their soul feeling total separation from other worshippers like someone being in the same location of others have you ever been at church everyone singing praising the lord and yet you feel like you are a million miles away from emotionally where everyone else is utterly disconnected utterly isolated I wonder if you've ever felt like that. One writer said this, the only thing more exhausting than being depressed is pretending that you're not. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? The, uh, the expert on, on depression, anxiety, Dr. Kurt Thompson, I found really helpfully describes it like this. When we experience shame, we tend to turn away from others because the prospect of being seen or known carries the anticipation of that shame making us feel worse. However, the very act of turning away, while it temporarily protects us, 
in the end, it only reinforces the very shame that we're trying to avoid. It is a heartbreaking cycle to be trapped in. You want to draw near, but you can't, so you draw away. And drawing away makes you feel disconnected from others and disconnected from God. Well, the third experience that the psalmist highlights in this song is depression is relentless. Third experience is depression is a relentless torture. Look with me at verses six and seven. Uh, the author, Matt Haig, puts it like this. He says, it is very hard to explain to people who have never known serious depression or anxiety the sheer continuous intensity of it. There is no off switch. Well, that's exactly the idea here in verse 7. Look with me here at verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, this is a remarkably powerful image, so please don't miss it, because it combines two pictures of natural violence. One is the pressure of hundreds of tons of deep river water crashing down from a waterfall's height onto a deep river below. And it's combined with another image, the image of a relentless tide from an ocean. Waves crashing on rocks, white froth spray everywhere. These are two immense images of nat natural power and violence crashing down. And that is what the depression feels like to this psalmist. Soul violence, you might say an unbearable emotional torture, a relentless trauma to one's very sense of being human. Now, for those who have struggled with depression or who are struggling with depression, and I know a number of you will be, I wonder if you resonate with the psalmist's song as they talk about their own struggles. You see, part of the reason that I wanted to go through this description is to demonstrate that the God of the Bible insisted that this song, all about the torture of depression, has a place in the most important book ever written. You see, by Psalm 42's very inclusion into scripture, it testifies that we have a God who gets it, who understands this corner this dark corner of human experience and he doesn't sideline it he doesn't patronize about it but he sorrowfully acknowledges that this is a valid experience of being human and although as christians we wait we, we may long for healing we can still look at this psalm and say actually well the bible has an understanding and understanding at the very heart of the whole of scripture that struggling with depression is not, is not outside an authentic Christian experience. What do I mean? I mean real Christians wrestle with depression. And it doesn't compromise the power of the gospel at work within them. I wonder if you need to hear that today. That if, if no one else gets you, God does. I wonder if you need to hear that.
Well, come to me to the second part of looking at Psalm 42. We've, we've looked at the three wounds of depression, the three experiences of what it's like to be a believer who's depressed. Now, let's, let's, look, let's look at how, how we can move forward, how we might find help and comfort. But, but I've titled this second part of this psalm, The Two Narratives of Depression. You see, before we can look into what the, what the help is, what the medicine might be for those who are struggling with depression, which is a great question, we need to recognise that in the heart of someone who is afflicted with this mental darkness, there are two competing stories, two competing narratives. Uh, one which is a shadow narrative. It's unhelpful full of despair and toxic. And the other is uh, a second story, a light narrative, a gospel-focused, truth-seeking and restoring narrative. And both of them are at play in the heart. So let's look at the shadow narrative first. Well, Dr. Kurt Thompson, who I mentioned earlier, described the internal battle within a believer like this. He said, we are storytellers. We yearn to tell and hear stories of goodness and beauty, and this is the echo of God's intention. But shame wants very much to infect every element of the mind in order to distort God's story and offer another narrative. And in this song, in Psalm 42, the psalmist records these two stories, these two voices battling together. It's there in the song. It's there because it's in the heart of the psalmist. So let's briefly look at this shadow narrative. Look with me at verse three. It says this, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Now this is the repeated uh, phrase right throughout this song, where is your God? It's a haunting, nagging question that seems to grow louder and louder and louder. It's a sense of abandonment that God has left them, that it makes the person feel unloved, cast off by God. Another friend of mine who struggled with depression for many years said that this is an absolutely typical question that grows like a cancer in the heart of someone who struggles with this type of darkness. She said, I felt as though God was a silent spectator. He had accepted me and I know that he loved me, but it wasn't enough. I needed more. I needed the approval of others because how could God love me if even normal people like me couldn't love me? Well, that same story echoes in the psalmist's mind in verses 9 and 10. You, you can hear the darkness wrestling in his heart, can't you, in those two verses. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist seems to be weighed down by the oppressive actions of others. Interestingly, it's recorded in France that in the 16th century, when the gospel-believing Christians were persecuted, when they were arrested and dragged from their homes uh, by rioters collecting, grabbing their families, taking them off to prison and burning them at the stake, their oppressors called out to them in a mocking cry, where is your God? I've noticed in my own heart, actually, 
that I am very quick to go there when I get disappointed by things or when things don't work out as I hope they would or I'm feeling disappointed or things just go plain wrong. And it particularly happens when I don't feel like whatever it is is my fault. I assume that it's all happened because God has abandoned me. He either doesn't care and so he does nothing or I think to myself that he cruelly wants me to suffer. There's always a voice lurking in my heart ready to ask that question, where is your God? My friend went on to describe it like this better than I can. She said, half my brain was in a fight with the other half. I would be telling myself the truth about God, but the other half of me was always louder and would tell me that he is watching and waiting until I am a better person and more worthy. Isn't that a terrible lie? Isn't that an absolutely terrible lie to hear inside your heart? Interestingly, Dr. Catherine Butler, who's a Christian psychiatrist specialising in depression, observes that when we witness someone struggling with depression, we need to come alongside them and remind them that their disordered perception is trapping them in the dark. It's a really helpful application for us, isn't it? That when we have a friend or a family member with depression, that we're to be patient. Not berating them for not thinking the right thoughts. Not frustrated with them for not having the right Christian feelings or emotions. No, no, no. We must gently and sensitively remind those that we love that actually there's an internal battle going on. And that in a fallen world, though we cherish the gift of emotions... The way things feel are often very different from the way things truly are. That's what we must help people who struggle be reminded of. Well, that finally brings us to the narrative of light. And in verses 5, 8 and 11, a voice of light and truth joins the song. This is the exciting bit because I think this is the medicine for the soul that this psalm has been uh, crying out for. Because it's a hard psalm, but we've got to the light bit. Because in verses 5, 8 and 11, this voice of light gently and patiently repeats the same idea. And you can see it right there in those verses, can't you? And it's a chorus that we would do really well to remember for the sake of those around us and for ourselves so that we can sing these words when we're called upon. Now, this narrative of light, I like to describe it as spiritual medication. But like all medication, you need to read the instructions on the bottle because this is not a magic spell for guaranteed healing. But regularly applied, it will offer help. And I really do pray that it will offer great comfort. Look with me at verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Well, there's three parts to this spiritual medication. I'm going to roll through them quickly, so stick with me. The first one's this. Look down. That is, acknowledge where you currently are. Acknowledge how you feel. You know, don't try and repress it. Be honest. If that's the way you feel, that's the way you feel but challenge it. 
False narratives in your heart and mind do not get a free pass. But that's what the psalmist does. To the question of where is God, he asks the counter question, why, my soul, are you so downcast? In other words, I acknowledge that I am downcast, but I'm going to push back and challenge the root causes of those feelings. Number two, look up. That is, fix your eyes on God, who, who is good. Look at what he tells us he's like. Look what he's done for you in the past. Revel in what his character is like. As the psalmist says, put your hope in God, my saviour and my God. You see, don't passively accept your feelings of abandonment and don't passively accept the idea that God hates you. Intentionally look at what scripture says that God is truly like and remind yourself that he is good, although you may not emotionally feel that right now. And number three, look forward. We've looked down, we've looked up, now look forward. And that is... Fight to remember that the gospel offers a future, a really, really good future. A place where, as Revelation 21 describes, that God will be with us as his people. He will wipe every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death, there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain, for all of the old order has passed away. Isn't that a wonderful description of looking forward, looking to the future that has been promised us in the gospel? You see, unlike most medications where you have to take restricted doses, this medicine of look down, look up and look forward is to be taken as frequently and as abundantly as you can. To borrow an image from verse one, drink this medicine with the reckless abandon of a deer that pants for water. Because for the very thirsty soul, it is restoring to know that as you look down, as you refuse to repress the way you feel, but you acknowledge your feelings and then challenge them, isn't it restoring to remember that Jesus did that in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he shook with stress, anxiety, and yet said, thy will be done. And for the thirsty soul, is it not restoring to know that as Jesus hung on a cross, experiencing the torture of being separated from the warm love of his father, as he took the just punishment for sin on our behalf, he never lost confidence in the goodness of God his father. Even on the cross, he always still looked up, crying out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. For even in that moment of total vulnerability, he still saw that the safest hands in the universe were those of his, his dad. And finally, for the thirsty soul, is it not restoring to know that even as Jesus panted desperately for oxygen as he slowly suffocated to death on a Roman cross, he still looked forwards? Even through the immediate fog of pain, he continued to look to fix his gaze forward on, on the joy of heaven that lay before him. 
so much so that he could even turn to a, a, a fellow criminal on a cross next to him who was also a soul panting in pain and say, today you will be with me in paradise. Look down, look up, look forwards. That's what we must do. That's what this Psalm 42 offers us. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you in the knowledge that when we, when we feel depressed or anxious, it turns our worlds upside down and it feels like it shuts off your light to our hearts and yet in Psalm 42 we find ourselves facing a God who totally understands, who gets it, who recognises our pain and our discomfort and says that's okay. And more than that a God who has in the Lord Jesus Christ been through such pain and gets it and knows it and understands it. And yet this psalm also offers us the great hope that as we look down, as we look up at the goodness of God, as we look forward to the future that you have won for us, we know that the pain now is only temporary and that the best is yet to come. Amen.